When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockham Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. After the North Texas game, we're coming to you the day after. Missouri won and no one got fired, so this game was a lot better than the last one. Regardless of how it played out or what it looked like or how interested you were as we went through the second half, this was a better game. BK, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Much better this week than last. There was still plenty that should be and needs to be cleaned up before this team plays the quality opponents that are on its schedule down the stretch. But a win is a win is a win, and they got a win for the first time in three weeks. So I'm happy for it, man. Um, it's All things considered, we'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, that's, that's the, the story of this season. Just get your wins Mm -hmm. at this point. It looks like we'll probably have five, maybe four or five, uh, depending on how salty South Carolina wants to be. And then it's going to be a bunch of games that you're probably not going to win that you got to try and get an upset. So it doesn't matter how it looks, get the W. And that is certainly the case yesterday. Missouri looked like actually a pretty competent team for about the first half. And then they got bored and North Texas decided to score some points. So it depends on when you watch the game, how you felt, or how much stock you want to put into the back, you know, the back 30 minutes of the game. But from the from the jump, Missouri's offense looked competent, and the defense with a couple of changes, to credit to Drinkwitz, he did make some changes, but only with a few. Uh, it looked like an actual football team. Don't you agree? Yeah, for the most part, um, there were moments where there were certainly some defensive breakdowns and some lapses. And I mean, 
North Texas ended the game with 300 yards passing. That's not great considering their starting quarterback combined for like 100 yards passing in his previous two games. Uh, they still put up 188 on the ground. It, it wasn't perfect defensively. You would have liked sure. to have seen a, a better effort, but it was fine. And I thought the most important thing, Nate, was the guys that had bigger roles in this game did pretty well. I mean, you you clearly upgraded at linebacker by going from Blaze Aldridge to Chad Bailey. He's just a better football player. And I think that you're going to see some dividends from that down the stretch if they continue playing Chad Bailey as they should. Um, the best defensive lineman on this team right now is Makai Wingo, and there is no close mm-hmm. second. He is the best guy on the team. He is consistently making plays. And he's getting more playing time as a result. He played like 85% of the snaps this week, which is not something they do along the interior ever. And Mm -hmm. he and Kobe Whiteside did that this week and they deserved it. They were the best defensive linemen on the field for Mizzou. So credit to Mizzou for making some obvious changes along the defense. They made the two personnel switches with Chad Bailey going in there and Makai Wingo playing a lot. Those are kind of the biggest changes that they made, but those two guys showed up with the extended playing time, which is not always the case. And they earn more playing time moving forward. For sure. I mean, just even just a quick look at the, at the box score that they sent out at the end, 10 tackles for loss, 10, like where, where was that all of, I don't know, any other part of the season, you know, last week we had two tackles for loss and it's Boston college at four. I'm not even going to look at SEMO because that doesn't count. <laughs> he had five against Kentucky, and then against Central Michigan, there were 14. So, oh, by the way, when you play G5 teams, you tend to get more tackles for loss. Sure, you can credit that to the quality of opponent. I'm not going to blame you on that one. However, we also made a personnel change, and a lot of that pressure, at least, you know, Mikai Wingo is really good right now at squeezing through his blockers. Like that, that is his gift. Jordan Elliott was pretty good at splitting, mm-hmm. splitting blockers and freeing up Kobe Whiteside to do his thing, which was when he had the great year. Sheldon Richardson was more of just like a bull. He'd take his dude, push him in the backfield. Beckner That's not really was really good at this. Beckner was also very good at that. That's not really Wingo's game right now. Maybe it is. Maybe he develops it. But like right now, he's just like, he's just squirrely. And you're like, ah, oh God, we got to count for this guy. He's, he's, he's redirecting the play which is more than what we've been getting the first five games. So like this, this is a nice development. This is a nice tool to have. It would have been even better to pair that with Darius Robinson, but of course he's injured for the rest of the year. So we will look forward to that next year. Point is, is that for all of his talk, Drinkwitz didn't make a lot of changes. He still tried out basically the, the same starting offensive uh, offensive roster. He made two changes at defense and against North Texas, it looked good. Now we'll see. Does that last for the rest of the season? And if it does, what does it look like when the competition is, oh, I don't know, say a Texas A&M team that just beat Alabama? I mean, yeah, I'm I'm not expecting quite the same results in that one. But there was one play in particular, Nate. I tweeted tweeted this out on my Twitter account. It's at BK Sports Talk is where you can find this video. Makai Wingo, it, it really highlights the difference in the run defense with Wingo and Bailey on the field. So I'll start out talking about what Wingo did to, to break up this play. It ended in a, in a tackle for loss, about a two-yard TFL early in the game, two minutes in, second and two. Big play by them. 
So Makai Wingo immediately, I mean immediately, the moment that the ball is snapped, beats his guy. He's going up head on against the offensive guard and the offensive tackle is getting ready to pull to the left-hand side. So he's on the right guard head up and the right tackle is about to pull to the left-hand side. He swim moves and immediately beats the right guard into the backfield, follows the right tackle into the backfield. It's a zone read. They're reading the defensive end. The defensive end stays home. So they're going to hand it off to the running back. Makai Wingo immediately blows a play up. It's dead upon arrival. There was never a chance for that play to do anything. Ends up with a two-yard TFL, third and four, big play early in the game. He wasn't the only one, though, to hone in on in this play. Chad Bailey also won at the point of attack on this one. He immediately sees the pulling right tackle, so he knows it's coming his way. He's lined up as the linebacker on the left-hand side of the offense, right inside of the, the tackle. So he sees the pulling guard, knows it's coming to him, meets the pulling guard in the hole, or pulling tackle rather, in the hole. Takes on that block, fights through it, and helps Makai Wingo bring the ball carrier to the ground. Those are things that were not happening previously. You didn't have defensive linemen winning quick, and you didn't have linebackers that were plugging the hole and then being able to shed that block quickly. If you can have that consistently, and you're right, it's going to get harder, whether it's Texas A&M or Florida or Arkansas, Georgia, whoever down the stretch, it will not be as easy against them as it was to win at the point of attack against North Texas. These are the kinds of things, though, that you need to see. And it wasn't happening, even against teams like SEMO or against Central Michigan. There were way too many plays where Blaze Aldridge just got blown off the ball, man. He just had no chance against these offensive linemen that he was going up against. And if Chad Bailey is going to be able to do this consistently and at least take on and shed blockers, that's that's going to make a world of difference for Mizzou's defense because it just allows that extra tick of a second for other defenders to be able to get there and win off of their blocks as well. I'm probably being very biased here. I I agree that Chad Bailey fights through blocks a lot better, which I think I went on for like two minutes about how Blaze Aldridge can't do that. It also looks like he just moves faster side yeah. to side. He definitely does. No doubt about okay. it. Okay. Not just me. Okay. Good. Yeah. I, there I mean, there I, was I, another I, play that I, that I highlighted on, on Twitter as well. It was a, a third and nine run where they ran a, just a straight yes. sweep with the quarterback. Mm-hmm. This was about halfway through the second quarter, third and nine. And Chad Bailey just immediately starts sprinting. Once he sees the, what the play design is going to be immediately starts sprinting and basically meets the quarterback at the sideline. Now it still went for a five yard gain or so, but he didn't have a good angle against it. So that's what it had to be, but he stopped it short of the sticks, which is all you can ask for ended up forcing a punt and you live to fight another down. I don't think blaze Aldridge makes that play. I I think that goes for a first down because it was the, that was the only way they were stopping it short of the sticks was if um, Chad Bailey was able to make the play. He was the only guy that was out there. Like, again, we don't we don't sit here to rag on guys like that's not our favorite thing to do. But you also at the same time, you want to be playing guys that give you the best chance to win. And historically, we've not seen a whole lot from Chad Bailey. Last year, he looked mostly lost this year in, in the few spots that he's had. He's looked kind of a mix, like sometimes like ineffective. But like last week when he was in with Jamie Petway, it was their effective stop against Tennessee. The only one that they had. So, like, it's been kind of a mixed bag, but. Having him in there for for longer stretches of time and playing with the ones, I think this is our answer going forward. Again, I don't think it fixes all the woes. 
I'm certainly sure that he is going to get burned or just blown up as we go through the SEC schedule, but he's going to be here next year. That's the also positive, the other positive mm-hmm. thing here. And he just, he just looks better. He looks like an SEC linebacker and I hate to put it in those terms, but he was making plays that you just kind of figured you, you didn't see blaze Aldrich make. Let me put it that way. That is not Blaze's bag. Blaze likes to get in the backfield and blow you up. He's not really good at stopping any runs that get past him, fighting through blocks or chasing to the sideline. So if that is the case, and that's what we saw, then I am good with Chad being kind of the, the lead guy in that linebacking spot going forward, playing with Devin Nicholson. And let's just see what happens, because I, I just feel like that's the best answer right now. It sounds like you do, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. I I think that I mean, they made the move for a reason this week, right? They they assessed where they were defensively and decided. I mean, they said that there was no depth chart going into last week. Now, do sure. I believe that? Of course not. But <laughs> that's what they said publicly. And what they came into the game with <laughs> defensively was really very few changes. If you're actually looking at starting lineup, really, the only change was Chad Bailey being out there. Everybody else was pretty much the guys that we expected to be out there. Now, snap wise, it changed a little bit, but the starters were basically the same outside of Chad Bailey. So that tells you they identified the biggest issue with their defense was, man, we just can't have Blaze Aldridge out here this much anymore. And I think Blaze Aldridge seems like a legitimately great human. And again, I I don't like talking like this about a college kid, but if we're going to break down the games, we kind of have to. He was a liability for them, and it wasn't just against the run. It was against the pass as well. Having him on the field, he he was not good against blockers, and he was too slow to be able to catch up to things sideline to sideline. Chad Bailey was not perfect in this game. There were plays that he also did not make. He over-pursued on one in particular that I saw that ended up going like 20 yards right through his gap. It's going to happen, and every linebacker has those kinds of plays. The hope is it happens less often. And you're able to get more of those uh, splash plays, the plays that happen behind the line of scrimmage. And if you can do that, it makes up for some of the stuff that he gives up going the other direction. So that he's definitely a starter for me. I would love to see more of Makai Wingo out there as mm-hmm. close to an every down defender. He He's their best run defender. He's their best pass rusher from the interior. He deserves to be out there as much as he possibly can be. And let's see what it looks like. And, and you mentioned it. It's a really important note. Both of those guys are expected to be back next year. So, and Makai Wingo definitely will be back next year, at least in terms of uh, his eligibility. So if you can get those guys to become building blocks for your defense, it's not just significant down the stretch for 2021. It's also really important for what you're trying to build for 2022. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, plus, uh, Mr. Wingo can can give you a pick six every now and then, <laughs> which was super cool to see. He is crazy athletic, man. He really, he really is. is. Yeah, yeah. That was. I always love a fat guy touchdown, a lineman touchdown, and that boy was scooting. Holy cow! Like he was. That is the most max effort run I've ever seen from a, from a football player. <laughs> like it was great. I, it was awesome for him, and um, you know he said he played it to Smet, so that's Robert Steeples, right? Um. Uh, who's the coach out there for him as you guy. And I, I know he didn't score in high school. So pretty cool to get a, get a touchdown on the college level. Very cool. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you, you know, the first half held him to seven points feeling good. In fact, first quarter, they didn't give up a single point, which didn't realize we could do that. Uh, and then you get to the second half and 
Missouri proceeds to give up 28 points. I'm less concerned about that. The game was basically in, in the bag once the first half was over. It's still not great to see. Like you said, you know, Austin Ani, who was not really renowned as a passer, throws for 305 and four touchdowns. Just kind of seemed like the defense lost interest. I know they were mixing in some some backups too, just to get the experience out there, see who who could do what. And I know a couple of corners ran into each other on one of the touchdowns. So like it didn't look great, but frankly, BK, against a G5 team, if you're up that big and this is a young team, I'm not worried about it. Are you reading anything into the second half performance here? Same thing that we did against Simo. It shows you yeah. where your depth's at right now, and it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> and it needs to be better. And it will be. That's what the recruiting's for. And we've talked about this ad nauseum at this point. So I don't want to hone in on it too much. But yeah, it's not a huge concern to me. There were some moments where it's like, really, are we doing this again? And it's frustrating as you're watching it. But especially late in the fourth quarter, some of those drives that they put together. I mean, you you had like threes in the game. Yeah. And that's when I am not in the least bit worried about we, what we saw there. Those guys are not ready to see the field. And you saw why, because they're mm-hmm. just not not at that level yet. So I wasn't super worried about it by any stretch of the imagination. If you look at where they were uh, through the end of the third quarter, they were up 31 to 14. That's pretty much what we expected this game to be. And mm-hmm. it, if you're able to finish it winning by two scores, and that's exactly what they did. And get, given how concerned I was going into this one, I feel like that was a win. Not not just in terms of the scoreboard. Obviously, it finished with the W, but <laughs> I, I feel like they performed about as well as I expected them to, at least defensively. Offensively, it was weird, but... Um, it was kind of weird. But let's defensively, I felt like offense, it was it was though. fine more often than not. Yeah, let's, let's get into the offense because the, it was the Tyler Beatty show, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Mr. Beatty goes for 217 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. Uh, he also was interested in contributing in the passing game. Two cast, two catches for nine yards and a touchdown. Awesome. Everybody else? Eh. Just, you know, J.J. Hester is one big catch. Kiki Chisholm, four catches, 31 yards. Towski Dove, three catches, 20 yards. Just kind of a really ho-hum, boring passing attack. And I couldn't tell if it was by design or by what North Texas was doing, but Connor Bazelak's final line here, 21 of 32, 160 yards. That's five yard average. That's, you know, that's not great for, especially considering this is a G five team that would, would give up some, some, some passing yards. If you, if they, if you really wanted to take them, Um, I'm glad that we did well on the ground especially with Tyler Beatty, but this was something that you're like, eh, really would have liked to see a little bit more considering who the opponent was. It was a rough game for Basilek. Um, I wrote about this for the site, and I don't know if it'll be up by the time that you're listening to this or not, but if it's not sneak peek, <laughs> it's going to be at some point this week. Basilek's game was yet another reminder of what some of the limitations are of the chief of the Mizzou offense right now. And I've gone through kind of a roller coaster of emotions with Basilak this year. And I I think I am pretty firm on where I'm at with him. I think Basilak is a fine college quarterback who you can start and you can win with. 
I think it's going to be pretty rare that Connor Bazelak is the reason that you are winning games. And I also am starting to come to question whether or not with this defense that Missouri has, you can regularly win with him. And what I mean by that is there is just, there are so few plays that are made between 10 and 25 yards from Bazelak. It's really hard to win that way consistently. I mean, he's, He's taking a lot of passes that some guys would be willing to chew, willing to go for. He's passing on them and instead opting for the five yard check down or he's immediately getting rid of the football and throwing it between zero and five yards down the field. I, I charted some of his throws from this week. It, it's like 75 percent of his passes were either at or behind the line of scrimmage or within five yards of the line of scrimmage. It's just a very limited passing game right now. And I don't know. This is something that's going to be worth monitoring moving forward, not just for this year, but for the future as well. I don't know how much of that is drinks offense. There's certainly some of that. How much of it is the Tigers lack of legitimate weapons on the outside that can win in the intermediate range? And how much of it is Basilac? And then the other fourth component of this is how much they don't trust their offensive line to allow them to have the protection to have those, whether it be play action passes or, I mean, it's just intermediate throws take longer to develop. So it's Basilek, it's the offensive line, it's the receivers, and it's the system. And we put all four together. If one of those things doesn't like make it so obvious that you have to start utilizing the intermediate passing game, it, it's just not going to come together. And right now, Basilek is not pushing it. So I wonder what that means for the future. Because you can do this right now, and it's not a huge deal because this team was never going to come into this 2021 season and win anything meaningful, really. But for 2022 and 2023, when you are hoping to win a little bit more regularly, I, I do wonder what it looks like if Basilek's still your starting quarterback. I mean, I don't, I don't think he will be. <laughs> I, I certainly... I don't want to put this. I want the best guy to play. If it ends up that Bazelak and Macon and Horn all get a shot and Bazelak is the guy, I trust the staff to make the right decision. I trust the staff to know, yes, this is our best guy. But yeah, the deep passing game is not effective. And Yes, you're going to get some upgrades in weapons. Yes, you're going to get some upgrades on the line. But I don't think this is the Drinkwood system. I really don't. Because I've I've seen... You've seen Boise State offenses. You've seen NC State offenses. You know that they that was an aspect of their game. A lot of it was kind of short and media and like relying on the and run. that's all college football. Like, you, you can watch an Oklahoma State game and there's a lot of, a lot of short short passing but it's it's not exclusively (laughs) short it's you know we we always joke about calling the touchdown play a lot of the you know that's not how it works everything is like designed to draw patterns and then break the pattern it's to lull a defense into thinking that they know what's coming and then hitting them with something else it's you're so you're setting up a lot of that stuff and a lot of those quick passes are setups you know, it looks like a guy's running a screen, and so they see him run it. And they go, I know what that is, and boom, someone's going downfield, and like, oh, crap, I missed it. So that's a very simplistic explanation. Obviously, anybody can figure that out, but I don't think that 
there are no deep shots in the Drinkwitz playbook. I just think that A, they're not being called all that often, and B, when they do, he's taking the check down. Think how many how many flea flickers has Drinkwitz called where Bay's like ended up hitting the intermediate guy, right? You flick the flea at the start of the play, and then it's like a 20-yarder when the guy's sprinting downfield and you could you could go that way. So again, it could just be the guy's covered or Bay's like just doesn't want to make that throw. I don't know, but to me, he does not have that as a legitimate weapon right now. And I perceive either Tyler Macon or Sam Horn being able to do that because I've seen their high school tape. I also know their athleticism and I think that they're willing to do that. You add a Luther Burden type, or even if you don't, if you add a Jamarian Wayne into the mix of this receiving core with a healthy Mookie Cooper and a Dominic Lovett in his second year. Yes, I think a downfield passing game could thrive. I don't know if Bazelak's going to be that guy, though. If you take Bazelak and put him on Ohio State's offense, do you think he magically starts throwing deep balls? I don't know. He'll certainly have the receivers, but it kind of seems like he's been trained mentally, either by the coaching staff or by his experience, to make the safe play. And if you have dynamic athletes, yeah, a lot of times they can turn those shorter passes and go 50 yards downfield. Missouri doesn't quite have that right now. So I don't, I I do think we have kind of seen the extent of what Basilak can do. I'm not sure if he's going to get much further past that. I don't think that's a bad thing. That's, that's a bad quality for a quarterback, but you need to have dynamic athletes around him. And since you don't, you need a dynamic athlete at quarterback, which I think we have sitting on the bench. Um, but it's it's a long season, and we we'll see what happens. But I I do I do not think Bazelak is the long term answer. That's my long answer to your short question. No, I I think I'm with you there, and I also I, I want to make this distinction as well because th- there might be some, and I I don't know how many people are in the the like strong Bazelak corner right now, but I'm sure there are some because he he really hasn't been like terrible this year by any stretch. He's been fine, and I think that's part of the frustration is. We knew he could be fine last year, and he's just kind of been fine again this year. And I, we were hoping to see a little bit more than that. But the the, the distinction I want to make is, Bazelak does attempt a decent number of deep passes. And they the, don't connect. <laughs> they, they, they don't connect. And the majority of them come on shot plays that are specifically designed by Drinkwitz to be deep passes. I was reading a piece about Patrick Mahomes this week, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, he was in the film room his rookie year when he was still on the bench. And it was Alex Smith and Brad Childress, who used to be one of the offensive uh, coaches uh, in the Kansas City Chiefs system. And Brad Childress asked Mahomes on this play, hey, you know, who would you hit on this one? And Mahomes looked at the play, and it was like a, a hitch route that was supposed to be designed for the hitch. And he said, you know, I... I take the I take the post and children said, what What do you mean you take the post? No, it, it's the hitch. And he rewinds the play. He looks back at it. He looks at it. And he's like, I'll be damned if you're willing and able to make that throw. It's there for you. <laughs> and so <laughs> Mahomes was just willing to make the throw that other guys weren't. And they just wouldn't even look for it. And I think that's part of what this is, is Basilek's just going to take what's there. And more often than not, what's there is the five yard underneath route or the the guy that's standing at the line of scrimmage and can gain four yards afterwards. 
And what you're hoping and what I think we saw, frankly, in the brief amount of time that we were able to see Tyler or uh, Tyler Macon, he's willing to go out there and make things happen. Mm-hmm. He's pressing the issue. And I, I do wonder if Sam Horn's going to be the same way when he gets on campus. And when you have those guys that are able to kind of push the limits of this current playbook and they have the same plays, they have the same routes called, but they see them differently. They internalize things differently and they say, I trust my arm. I can make that throw and it might lead to more negative plays, but it's also going to lead to more big plays with the high variance defense that you have right now. I think that might make more sense for next year or certainly for like 2023. And that's what I'm trying to get at here is it's not just the deep shots. It's the 10 to 15 yard shots that are there that are in this offense currently that are already being the routes are being run. that He just doesn't even seem to be looking at. And that's that's yeah. what's concerning to me. It's very nice of you to call our defense high variance. That's very, very nice. Um, you know what this kind of reminds me of? The 2013 James Franklin, Maddie Mock. Yeah. Because James Franklin, very much like Connor Bay's, like he never gave you a reason to say, oh, yeah, we, we can't. This guy's not it. He never gave you that reason. But he also never, never gave you enough to go, oh, yeah, this is our guy. And so when he got injured against Georgia, um, Matty Mock comes in and then he plays Florida, Mm -hmm. South Carolina, Tennessee, and Kentucky. Do you know (laughs) in those four games when we said, oh my God, Matty Mock's killing it, you know, 295 yards here, 249 yards there, five touchdowns against uh, Kentucky. You know what his accuracy was? Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. It was like 50%. 48%. Now, he was making 10 yards per attempt. You flipped that. What was James Franklin doing up until that point? He was doing 65%, but at a 7.5 yard per attempt. So you looked at it and go, Oh my God, I will take the, I will take the dumb misses. Cause look at the explosiveness. You, you always kind of fall in love with that. But James Franklin was the better quarterback because he tended to not make the bad decision. He would make the safe decision. And with that receiving cord, that was fine. That was fine because guess what? The deep ball was usually the, the safe, the safe choice. Cause they could out jump everybody. My point is, is that Connor Bay's like, does make the safe choice. Like you said, He'll do the five-yard hitch. The difference is that he also doesn't run all that much. So if there's nothing there, he doesn't have a second option to make something happen. And maybe Tyler Macon comes in and maybe he does a Matty Mock, you know, 48% completion. But, like, if you're hitting the deep shots, it opens up a lot of other stuff. Now, you got to hit that other stuff. But it gives you some more options because now the now, now the defense is like, okay, well, now we got to cover this. The thing about defenses in the year 2021 and you can blame Barry Odom for this, like in the good way. Everyone's kind of copying that Arkansas template from last year. And it's not anything crazy different, but it's rush three, drop eight. So if Missouri plays Arkansas, guess what's going to be open? Those little five-yard hitches. And guess what's going to be snuffed out? Those five-yard hitches. Mm-hmm. So he needs to he needs to adapt. He either needs to get a more reliable deep ball or feel more confident and and trying it or his receivers need to make something happen because you're not going to make it very long in this SEC by just dinking and dunking the entire time. I know I said we've said before that that's working, that's okay, 
But like people are going to figure that out. And if you don't have a, a, a counter to that, either running with it or going deep occasionally, you're going to get got. And this offense needs to score with this defense. So I, I just don't think it's a long-term answer. If like you said, the variance is high with this defense. Exactly. And I, that, that was the other thing that I wanted to make sure to make the point on, like to finish out your analogy of 2013, that team also had an excellent defense and the Incredible. defensive line in particular was like, 10 guys deep with players that you just trusted to come in and make plays consistently. This is not the same situation when circumstances, circumstances change. You need different guys at the quarterback position. It's just like leadership, right? In different situations, different types of leadership work best. And it, it may be the same person that inhibits all of those different types of leadership, but you need different kinds of leaders for different times. Um, so that, that it, that's where they're at right now with the quarterback spot right now. It makes a lot more sense to have a high variance quarterback who can make some big plays three years from now, five years from now, when this team has a ton of talent all over the place, maybe it does make more sense for them to have a guy that is just super consistent and he makes all of the plays that you'd expect him to make. That's possible. That's what Alabama did for like a decade, and they won a lot of games as a result of it. And then they were like, you know what? Why don't we just have both? <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> and yeah. they, now yeah. they just have awesome quarterbacks that can make all of the plays and all of the other things around them. So that's fun. Um, but for Mizzou right now, they're kind of in the worst of both worlds where they don't have a high variance quarterback. They don't have a whole lot around him. And so it just makes for kind of a blah game plan. And when you go up against teams like, Texas A&M next week or Georgia or Florida or Arkansas. It means it's really difficult to imagine a scenario in which the offense is able to do enough to give the other team fits. There's just, there's not a whole lot there for them. So I, Basil X, a fine quarterback. This is none of this is to besmirch his reputation or anything like that. He could start at a lot of power five schools. He really could. He's fine, mm -hmm. but the ceiling, I think we might have seen the ceiling for him as a quarterback, and that just makes me wonder what the future holds for him. Speaking of ceilings, hmm. there isn't one for Tyler Beatty. That <laughs> dude is special, man. Dude, I mean, serious. It, I guess we didn't really learn anything new by watching him against North Texas because he just did what he's done a million different times. But this was maybe the game where I appreciated him the most. That run <laughs> that he had where he he was completely stopped two defenders all over him tackled for like a 15 yard gain it was an objectively really good run as it was and then he's able to break both tackles and continue running for another like 50 yards it was the, one of the most remarkable individual performances on any mizzou play that i've ever seen i don't know did that i've ever seen anything about quite it? like it i didn't what did, did you say about it uh, Quartz, I put this in his, his, uh, sidebar today. Apparently Ty was like, yeah, I don't know what happened. I just kind of closed my eyes and hope for the best. <laughs> I mean, that's basically the only way to describe the play, right? Basically. Yeah. I mean, he had his head, he was in a headlock. He was getting turned around and then all of a sudden he's back running in the direction he started. And it's like, okay. Okay. It didn't make it. It seemed impossible. And yet he just kept running. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? It was it was unbelievable, man. It it was a tremendous play, and it was just symbolic of who he's been as a player for Mizzou mm -hmm. this year. I mean, you look at where he's at right now. We're six games into the season. He's already up to 100 carries on the year. 
He's still averaging six and a half yards per carry on the season. And oh, by the way, he's still been awesome through the air as well. He has 25 catches for 200 yards and four touchdowns through the air. He's one of the mm-hmm. best running backs in college football this year. He's going to be drafted in the top 75 or so next year. And in NFL teams, fan base is going to absolutely fall in love with him because he does everything that you could possibly want your running back to do. I, mm-hmm. I just hope Mizzou fans are appreciating this because we've been so incredibly spoiled over the last 25 years, really, with really solid running backs. And Beatty's just the latest in a long line of them. I don't know what's going to come next for the running back position. They might have guys lined up, but we haven't really seen a whole lot of it. So enjoy this while we've got it, because you just never know when you're going to get another player quite like Tyler Beatty. And frankly, there's never been one in in team history. He's the first guy to have a thousand rushing yards and a thousand receiving yards. So that in and of itself should show you just how rare this is. Yeah. I mean, BJ Harris seems to be the second guy now, 14 rushes, Mm -hmm. 39 yards. Um, a lot of those tackles for loss, though. Um, and, of course, you know, Tavoris Jones is coming in. Uh, well, committed so far. We'll we'll see if he signs. But, like, that's another big name that you can add uh, to the running back room for next year. So, you know, it's it. who knows what it's going to look like. But you're not going to have Tyler Beatty. And um, that's awesome for him because he's going to make uh, a lot of money. And that's 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 where he should be next year. So. I, I appreciate him. Clearly you appreciate him. I certainly hope uh, our readers at rock M are appreciating what we're seeing. So, so, so far, uh, who knows what he can do as the season goes on. Cause we're only halfway done. Um, but it's, it's been an incredible season so far. I don't know if he's going to win any awards. I don't know if he's going to be an all American, whatever. I don't care. This is a great individual season and yeah, we just need to appreciate it for what, for what it is. Even if it's not that great of a team, that's okay. So thank you, Tyler Beatty, for being awesome in a very blah year and a very blah game. Um, any other thoughts before we uh, get out of here, BK? Um, Yeah, I would say the only other thing that was worth really kind of diving into from that game was the receiver rotation and just that it was a lot of rotation. Was a lot JJ of guys, Hester yeah. was in a little bit. Looper had what? Almost was a really good play, but he tripped over himself on what would have been like a 50 yard reception. It was also not a particularly good throw. It it died like 10 yards before it should have, but neither here nor there. Toski Dove got a lot of opportunities. Kiki was in his usual role, but I I thought what was interesting, Dominic Lovett and Mookie Cooper actually started that game technically and both saw a decent number of reps Mookie was in for a, a lot of reps in that one and he mm-hmm. he touched the ball more than he had previously didn't do a ton with it but was fine I thought there was at least one play I think he actually ended up getting hurt on that play yes where you could see the explosiveness finally and it was like oh mm-hmm. maybe they're right maybe he does look kind of healthy and then immediately went to the sideline because he was hurt once again I just still haven't really seen it yet with love it. We might see it later this year. Maybe he'll have some moments, but I haven't seen much from him uh, really so far this season. But I I thought that was noteworthy is just we're halfway through the season and it seems like we're no closer to having a real discernible rotation at the position. They've just got like eight guys that are all going to play a decent amount. And that's okay. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just it, it's different than what I'm used to as a Mizzou fan because sure. they've had for so many years. Hey, here are your two to three guys that you trust in most situations. And I 
don't really know that they have that this year. It kind of changes depending on the situation. Yeah. And, and you know, everyone's kind of made a play so far this year, which is mm-hmm. cool. So it's going to whittle itself out, obviously, either via, you know, some kind of attrition of transfer, graduation, you know, whatever. Like, you're, they're going to figure it out as people get older and, and get better. It'll shake out. It's just there's a lot of evenly talented receivers right now based on a litany of things, and no one can really separate. So everybody sees the field, which is well, it's fine for now. But again, with a high variance defense, you kind of need some playmakers to rise to the top. We don't really have a quarterback who's doing it. Certainly don't have any receivers to do it. We do have a running back who's doing it, though. So, like, that's just kind of how the attack's going to be. And uh, we'll see how they develop over this year. But that's all we're going to have for you for the, for today. We'll come back with more thoughts uh, Wednesday night. Next show drops on Thursday, so you can uh, keep your ears open for that. There's no surprise Cardinal playoff games anymore, so we'll, we'll be on our <laughs> usual our usual recording rotation here. But um, we uh, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment. You can rate us. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rock Game flagship at Rock Nation and listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis at 101 PSPN 10 until 4. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, as it? See you.